Hello, and welcome to our Biblical Education Series here at One Fellowship Church in Waco, Texas. You can find this series and others from our Biblical Education Program available online at onefellowshipumc.org and on the One Fellowship Church podcast. This evening, we are pleased to welcome Rev. Spike Burt, who is leading us through this six-part series on the Book of Ephesians. Rev. Burt studied at Beeson Divinity School in Birmingham, Alabama, and currently works at McLennan Community College. This recording has been abbreviated for online distribution. Some of y'all are brand new, and we are going to do a little review session. And then we are going to look at our text today. Today our text is one of the most famous texts in all Ephesians. Y'all will know it pretty quickly. For by grace you are saved through faith, not of good works, so that no one may go. So we're going to look at that passage today. Now, for those that are brand new, we are looking at the book of Ephesians. And what, I'm going to ask those that have been here, what is the general theme, the main point of Ephesians? Hope. 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 Bobby's on top of it, Constance's on top of it. Right. Gold star to y'all. Hope. So we found out in our first week that the Apostle Paul wrote this letter. We found out a lot of really cool stuff about him. Uh, before he met Jesus, or I guess Jesus met him, uh, he was not that great of a guy. Um, he, well, I guess in his way, he would be an amazing man. Uh, super educated, uh, extremely devout to Jewish faith, uh, one of the religious leaders, uh, so devout in his faith that he said, I'm going to go kill Christians, persecute them, because they are blaspheming Yahweh. Um, and so that's what he spends some of his time doing. He ends up meeting Jesus, and all of a sudden he is radically transformed. We also talked about the Ephesian believer, uh, Ephesian church, which was a mixture of both Jews and Gentiles. And they had a lot of really weird stuff happening in the congregation. The weirdest would be that they were obsessed, uh, heavily influenced by the spiritual realm. So think in your mind of a super supernaturalist type person, superstitious person uh, in New Orleans who believes in voodoo and is trying to protect themselves from evil spirits, okay? So in, in a lot of the similar ways, what they would do is they would go to their own version of a priest uh, and get a spell, a little incantation on a tablet, uh, and that would protect them, quote-unquote, uh, from evil spirits. Um, and so this is found all throughout the book, this fear of the supernatural, the fear of the evil world. They were also heavily influenced by the worship of the goddess Artemis, who is the goddess of the hunt. Uh, and we're going to see that throughout this letter as well. And so in the first week, we talked about how this whole book is all about hope, and there's some key themes in the book. Hope is one of them. Grace is one of them. Peace is one of them. The idea of faith is another. Uh, and so a lot of really cool stuff. In the second week, uh, what we did is we looked at uh, the the realization of our hope. And so last week we talked about a lot of the blessings that are available to us as believers that can radically transform our lives today. And so Paul talks about how these blessings are going to be fully realized in heaven 
But the effects begin now. And so we talked about these blessings and Paul's idea of a blessing versus our idea of a blessing. And a lot of times when we think of blessing, we think of financial blessing. And that's not what Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about a spiritual blessing. He's talking about things like how God redeemed us, how God revealed a mystery to us, how he uh, gave us the assurance of salvation, um, how he redeemed us, how he sanctified us, how he's making us more like Jesus. Uh, And then at the end, we looked at Paul's prayer, which basically Paul says, hey, I am praying that y'all would just know Christ more, know his love, know his power, and that all these things would free you up from all the stuff that you're facing in your daily lives. This week, we're going to look at the foundation of our hope, and that is found in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, and that can really be summarized with one word, grace. The foundation, the bedrock, the thing that we build hope on is grace, and so we're going to talk a whole lot about that tonight. Will somebody read page 12 scripture for us, and this is Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10. Somebody read that out loud for us. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. <coughs> but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when, he, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, <coughs> created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Thank you, Constance. All right. So usually what I do is I try to do a very short lecture, and then we have some discussion. Tonight we're going to do a little bit differently. And we're going to talk through this text together. So it's going to be very discussion-based, but we're also going to really follow the text. And so the first thing that we see in this text is what? In in verse 1, it says that we are what? Dead. Dead. Now, what in the world does it mean that we are dead? Or that we were dead? What does that mean? What is Paul talking about? Okay, so we are dead in trespasses and sins. So he's going to describe what a dead person looks like. Okay, what are some of the other descriptive words that he gives us in verses 1 through 3? We are dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked. He's spiritually dead. Oh, so we're we're going to come back to this idea. Okay. Because that's very important. So let's finish up the description. And then we're going to go back and talk about what this is. What are other things that a spiritually dead person does according to verses 1 through 3? 
Okay, what does that mean? Put that in layman's terms. Just doing what you want to do. Do what you want to do. I do what I want. Okay, when I want, for how long I want, with who I want, and you can't tell me no other way. Alright, what other descriptions are found in these verses? Disobedience. Okay, they're disobedience and following the ways of the world. Worldly, disobedient. Anything else? Children of wrath. Oh, man, that's scary. We'll talk about that. Under wrath. Okay. All right. So, Paul says that all of us, no matter who you are, if you are a Christian, it is true of you that at one point in your life, you were a spiritually dead person who was in trespasses and sins, you did what you wanted to do. You were worldly. You were disobedient. You were under wrath. Oh, there's one more important thing. Yeah, right? So you're chained to the devil. That's pretty crazy, right? Yeah. Now, let's talk about what this means. What does it mean that we're spiritually dead? What is Paul talking about? Didn't believe in God. Okay? We did not believe in God. And I think, like, you don't have any hope. Okay? So, we're going to erase that a lot more. We'll come back to that. So, we did not believe in God. So, no belief. No hope. What else does it mean to be spiritually dead? For some reason, I keep thinking about that movie, The Sixth Sense. I hate to <coughs> give it away if you haven't seen it, but... Bruce Willis is the protagonist in the film, and he doesn't know that he's dead ah. all the way through. It's a, it's a mystery to him, and he wakes up to it at the very end. Um, so there's, there's a sense in which we may not know. May not know. Which is chilling. <laughs> Tons of people fall under this category. Now, but what we want to do is we want to expand this, because Paul says that all of us... We're falling into this category. Right. But I ain't a hoe. I ain't a rapper. I never did drugs. I, I went to church all my life. So how can a church person, a church going folk, fall into the same category? If you're self-righteous. <laughs> okay, self-righteous. So this concept relates back to Genesis Chapters 1 through 3. Really, chapter 3. Okay? And so we're going to, these are very familiar stories. Uh, and so I am assuming that y'all know these stories. Um, if not, hopefully we'll cover enough of it for you to clue in. Now, Genesis chapter 1. What happens in Genesis chapter 1? What does God do? Create. Okay, Genesis chapter 1, God creates. <coughs> now, on the sixth day of creation, he creates who? Man. Humanity. Okay? Now, there's something really important about his creation of humanity that separates humanity from the rest of creation. How did he create humanity? He created them in his 
image. image. Okay? Now, there's a lot of conversation out there. I got some Hebrew scholars in here. Don't, don't jump me. So I'm just going to be faithful. I'm going to be faithful. Don't, don't beat me up, Nick. There's a lot of conversation out there about what that actually means. In my understanding of things, what separates humanity from the rest of creation is that it has a very intimate, special relationship with God. So, we see in chapter 2, kind of another creation story, a summary of creation, and then we get to chapter 3. In chapter 3, you have the garden narrative. Now, what happens in the garden? We know the story, okay? We often blame Eve. She's our fall girl. She's our scapegoat, okay? It was really Adam's bad. Yes, they're both at fault, but really Adam is, is more at fault. Well, that's right. Now, Adam, see, women, men, sorry, it's our fault. Just, it's been that way. It's going to be that way. Um, now, what happens is God promises that if they eat of this fruit, they will surely die. The snake appears, convinces Eve that, nah, it's not going to happen. And then what happens after they both eat. They disobey God. They discovered they were naked. They discovered that they were naked. Did they die? No, no. not at that time. No. Not at that time. But God said you're going to surely die. He didn't say when. He didn't say when. What happened to the relationship that they had with God? It was severed. It was severed. Okay, so they went from being God's children, according to Pauline theology, to being kicked out of the garden, and now we're going to find out that they're considered what? They went from being children to outcasts, to outcasts and even Paul says enemies. Mm-hmm. Now, they, they were considered enemies of God. What happens is, they were cast out. They were separated from God. They could no longer enter the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Paradise. Their relationship was severed. It can only be restored, according to Pauline theology, in one way. And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Now, so they were spiritually dead. Now, notice that, as I said... This includes every single human being on the planet. Paul considers himself, before he met Jesus, to have fallen into this category. Paul was the most religious guy there was. He followed all the rules and regulations. He even added to them and followed those. He was the man. He was a a preacher of preachers. And so Paul still considers himself inside this category before Christ. And so this is very, very important because remember our last week and the week before, we talked about our position in Christ. You are either in Christ or <coughs> out of Christ. And so in Christ has all these uh, hopes and benefits attached to it. It's our identity. Uh, it's whose we are. Outside of Christ has the same type of thing going on. And so Paul is painting the picture of what it looks like to be outside of Christ.
Christ. And again, we often think of all oh, those horrible sinners. You know, there's the Donald Trumps of the world. But all of us fall in this category. And so, because all of us, according to Paul, were spiritually dead. Now, it says that we were under the wrath of God. What does wrath mean? That is an old school word. Anger. 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 Okay? Does it mean anything else besides anger? Or what kind of anger? Judgmental. Judgmental anger. Okay, so there is a picture of God's anger and wrath that has to be satisfied. And that is very important to Paul. They were under the wrath of God. Now, when Adam and Eve were kicked out from the garden, they were surely going to die. They died spiritually. They were going to die physically. But they were under the wrath. So they were outside of God's plan and purpose. They disobeyed God. How then do they go from being under his wrath to back to being his child? Now, that's what we're going to get to, okay? We're going to get there, but that's exactly right. So this is where, it's, this is where Paul's theology of, of salvation really comes into play. So wrath is extreme displeasure, and it is, in God's sense, it is a perfect wrath. They, they disobeyed him, and now because of his justice, his wrath is set against them. And so in short, what we're going to find out is that God satisfied his wrath with his love. God satisfies his wrath with his love. Now, verse 4. What does verse 4 say? 4 through 7. Somebody read that for me. We were dead, but now what's, what's But God being rich in mercy, because of his great love, with which he <laughs> loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Okay, you can stop there. Okay, so we were dead in our sins under the wrath of God. And verse 4 says what? But God. All right. Anywhere you see the term in the Bible, but God. That is an incredibly importantly wonderful passage that you need to pay attention to. We were totally lost without hope in this world. But God. But God. And what did God do? Being rich forgiving. This, this, is, this is where the term forgiveness comes in. Yes. God is rich in mercy and grace. He is rich in forgiveness. And in his riches, he does what? He forgives and makes us alive. Okay, so we were dead, but now we're alive. What does that mean? What does it mean that we are alive? We are believers. We are children. We are back into the position of in Christ. We now have fellowship with God. The way I like to describe this 
I, I'm a nerd. Y'all know that by now. Okay. Some of y'all are familiar with the Walking Dead series. If you're not familiar with that series, you're most assuredly familiar with zombies. Yeah. Now, a zombie is what? A walking dead. A walking dead. I want brains. Okay? Now, a zombie oftentimes does not know that it's a zombie. It is just functioning in its dead state. But once a zombie has the spark of life renewed in it, it no longer is a zombie. It is now a person again. When we sinned, and Paul says that all of us sinned, all of us are included in that, it's original sin, we became functional zombies. We were dead in our sins. But God made us alive. He took the stone heart, Ezekiel says, gave us a heart of flesh, the Holy Spirit comes inside of us, and now we are alive. And it says that we are alive together with Christ. Now, <coughs> excuse me. All right. So, let's see here. Even as we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Who is the acting agent in this story, in these verses? Who is doing the acting? God is. God is the main player. He's the main active agent. Why? Because he cares. Because God cares. And he has forgiven and he has forgiven us. If you are a zombie, what can you do to not become a zombie? Is there anything that you can do that's going to make you alive again? Believe. Believe in God. Belief. And we're going to, we're going to look at that really quickly. All right. So he raises us up with Christ. He seats us with Christ. This whole thing is that because God's mercy on the cross... We can now have a life in Christ. And verse 7 tells us, So that in the coming ages he might show to us the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God saves us because of his mercy. He redeems us because of his love. He puts upon himself his own wrath so that he might redeem us, make us his children once again, restoring us to our position in Christ, also that we might continually experience the amazingness of His love for eternity. Now that's pretty awesome. That is a God who loves. That is a God who transforms. That is a God who is worthy of worship and who is worthy to follow. Now, how did this happen? For by grace you have been saved, verse 8, through faith. Now, we've talked a little bit about this, but the how is by grace through faith. So let's talk about those key words here. What is grace? We are saved by grace. 
It's God's forgiveness. Okay? Grace is God's forgiveness. <clears throat> what else is grace? And it shows that God loves us. Okay? It's God's love. What else is grace? Peace. Okay? God's peace. Anything else comes to mind when you think of grace? <coughs> grace. We are saved by grace. By grace. Unmerited favor. Unmerited favor is a classic definition. Unmerited favor. Grace. Last week, <coughs> I gave you the illustration of... Uh, Riding the bike in the rain. And I asked you all what your favorite cake was. And I painted the picture of, of grace. How grace is undeserved. right? It's that unmerited favor. Grace doesn't make sense. Grace makes absolutely zero sense whatsoever. Because it's not what we deserve. And so God's grace is the vehicle by which God transfers us. From being a child of wrath to a child of God. His grace. My definition of grace that I like to use is God's choice to continually love and accept us through Jesus. God's choice to continually love and accept us through Jesus. Now, can, can we add, regardless of how we have acted, Absolutely. Yeah. And that's the whole point. Yeah. It is God's choice. <coughs> Who is the acting agent in Ephesians chapter 2? God is. So, and according to Paul's theology, are we able to fix our own messy situation? No. It is impossible. Remember last week. So last week, for those who are not here, I told a story about me as a little kid getting on my bike after a rain, and I hit every mud puddle there was, and I came home drenched from top to toe. And I was covered in mud. And I walked inside and I messed up my mama's brand new white pearly carpet. And I stopped dead in my tracks because I realized that she was coming around the corner. <laughs> now, as the kid sitting in the, sitting in the middle of the room, one of the things I'm going to do immediately is try to clean up my own mess. What happens when somebody is so filthy when they get down to try to clean up their own mess? Make it worse. Make it worse. The other thing you can do is try to run away. But that ain't going to work. Can I, can I forever run away from my mama? No. She eventually going to get me. So there's only one thing I can do, and that is to cry out, Oh God, have mercy on me. This is Paul's point. We can't save ourselves. There's nothing that we can do. And we're going to talk about that in the very next verse. So Paul says, By grace, through... Faith, which is a gift of God. Now, if faith is a gift from God, what does that mean? What does it mean that faith is a gift of God? It's something that we need. <clears throat> well, if we need it, we don't have it. <laughs> right? So even God gives us the faith in order to believe and receive and accept the grace 
that he's giving us. Now that is awesome. Yeah. Now, so. Go ahead. Where is this? This you know I, I, I talk about these twins all the time. No, no. Where, where, where does mercy come in here today? Mercy is exactly with grace. Grace and mercy are twin brothers and sisters. Okay? Because it is God's mercy which allows us to experience His grace. It is God's desire. Uh, we see all throughout the New Testament. So I just read this in John. It is God's desire that we are saved. That the children are brought to him. Jesus talks about this in John. Whoever the Father has given to me will come to me. He says, come to me all who are weak and weary and I'll give you rest in Matthew 28. So God's desire is that the children of disobedience will become once again in fellowship with him. And so he does this. He changes us. He transforms our lives. And he gives us hope all based on grace Mercy, and that happens through <coughs> faith. What is faith? Okay, so she's quoting Hebrews eleven. Uh, what did you say, Lovey? I said religion. Faith is religion. Faith is religion. What do you mean by that, Lovey? Help me understand trust, that. Where you trust in the Lord. You trust in the Lord. Okay, so faith is <coughs> trust. Yeah. Now we talked about this a little bit last week. What is the difference between belief and faith? Faith is an action word. Belief may or may not affect your life, but faith is always going to affect your life. Yeah. So last week I gave the illustration, maybe two weeks ago, I can't remember now. I gave the illustration of the parachute. Okay? I do not like heights. You cannot pay me to jump out of an airplane. It's not going to happen. But if I had to, and there was a parachute, and that parachute was packed perfectly, and that parachute went off perfectly, and I didn't hit any trees, and I landed perfectly, I believe wholeheartedly that that parachute would save my life. But I don't have a lick of faith in that parachute. I get faith when I jump out of the plane. And so when we talk about faith in Christ... We're talking about something more than just an intellectual assent. It's much more than just, hey, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. 98% of, of people in America probably at some form or fashion believe that. There are a huge number of people that claim to be Christians. And yet the Bible is very clear. Wide is the road to destruction. Narrow is the road to glory. Because there's a difference between faith and belief. Faith is an action word. Faith means I am fully trusting, fully surrendering, and that is a really hard word for us to deal with. What does the word surrender mean to you? Give in. Turn it over to God. Give in and give up. I'm done. I'm not doing it anymore. I can't do it anymore. Now, look at verse, I do believe we're on verse 9 right now. I can't remember. All right. Now, verse 9. Paul says that we are saved by grace through faith, verse 9, and we are not saved by good works. 
We are not saved by good works. What are good works? What are good works? When you do things to help people. Or, yeah. Helping people. What else is a good work? Helping yourself. Okay. Helping people, helping yourself. <clears throat> what else qualifies as good works? Something like all the stuff that we do where we're looking over our shoulder to see who's watching how great we are. Okay. So... I call that religion, basically. Not in the sense of what, what you've said religion is, but re in religion in the sense of, I'm going to do this. Uh, it's like in the Gospels. The, uh, the people that would give and say, I'm giving to the poor! Yeah. I want you to know that I'm so faithful and I love God so much, I'm going to give to the poor. That's good works. Okay. It's this idea that whatever you do is going to appease God and please God. Good works. It, now, it goes back to this whatever you've done to the least of these. Absolutely. Now, you remember in Ephesus, one of their big things. Influencers was the worship of Artemis. Artemis was a goddess who you appeased by doing good things in her name. So whether that was buying trinkets in her name, whether that was going to the temple to, to worship in whatever weird fashion they used to worship, and some of it was way out there. Okay? But she was a goddess who you did things in order to appease her. Paul says our God is not like that at all. Paul says there is nothing that we can do that will appease God. The only way that God can be appeased is how? What's the only way that we go from being a child of wrath to a child of God? God's action. Colossians says that He transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And how does that happen? Through, by grace, through faith. And it is our reception to the gifts that he is giving us. Not of good works, he says, so that no one may boast. Now, verse 10. This is often left out when people talk about this passage. People really like to spend a lot of time on verses 8 and 9 but miss 8 verse 10 completely. Verse 10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before Him that we should walk in Him. Now, notice, if you are following Artemis, good works would lead to her smiling face. Okay, so so Artemis, good works leads to her smiley face. Christianity is that the same thing for Christianity? 
Not at all. It's the exact opposite. For God, Jesus, His smile leads us to good works. So Paul is flipping what they understand is the norm completely on top of his head. Now notice that even though we're talking about Artemis here, you can also include Paul's own religion, Judaism. Paul believed that if he did A, B, C, D, E, and F, then that would make God happy with him. But he gets saved, he meets Jesus, and all of a sudden everything's flipped on his head, and now it is, because I am in Christ, because I have received God's mercy, God's forgiveness, God's love, God's compassion, God's transforming grace, and because I am functioning inside of that grace, that then has changed me to now where I am naturally going out and doing the works that Christ has called us to do. Does that make sense? Yeah. Now, within Christianity, what are the good works that Jesus has called us to do? What are the good works that Jesus has called us to do that flow naturally from a heart that has been changed and is being changed by Jesus? Love one another. Love one another. Love. What else does he call us to do? Compassion. I heard somebody else say something. Do unto others. Do unto others. Okay? Matthew 28, the Great Commission. What does Jesus call us to do? Go therefore and make disciples. Okay? So he's calling us to make disciples. Yeah. A really short summary of this. What does Jesus call his children to do? Act like Jesus. When we, be, when we go from spiritually dead and by grace through faith are transformed into children of God, we are then called to live like Jesus. That's what we're called to do. Now, is that easy? No. <laughs> I think I had a conversation with Nick one time. And I said, Nick, if you could throw out any part of the Bible, what would you throw out? Now, I don't remember what he said. Sorry, Nick. But I remember what I said. I said, I would throw out the Great Commission. Uh, the, the, uh, not the Great Commission. The Sermon on the Mount. Okay? <laughs> and Nick shook his head. He's still shaking his head. Now, the Sermon on the Mount. What are some of the things that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount? If somebody hits you in the face, what are you supposed to do? Turn. If a Roman soldier comes to you and says, hey, carry my stuff, what are you supposed to do? Not just do it. But you're supposed to go extra. Jesus says, hey, don't lust after your neighbor's wife. Don't lust after that woman. Jesus says, hey, you have heard that it said, do not commit murder. But I tell you, if you even are angry with your brother, you've committed murder in your heart. Okay. Who's guilty? Everybody. everybody. See, that's why I'm throwing that whole section out of Scripture. Because the reality is that following Jesus is impossible without Jesus. Without the Holy Spirit indwelling us, 
following Jesus is absolutely impossible. And so all of this ties together in Ephesians to let us know that the foundation of our hope, the reason that we can realize the hope, the blessing that he has given to us in chapter 1, the reason we can realize those now and function in those now is 100% based off of God's grace and mercy. God's grace is what is leading us to transformation. Next week, we are going to look at a large section of Scripture. So for the next two weeks, we are going to look at the Ephesians' problem with unity. Boy, they had some problems. Um, And this is next week. So this is going to be week four, and then after that, week five. Um, We're going to look at next week the theological reasons why we need to have unity. Uh, And then week five, we're going to look at the practical, basically how to have unity. Um, And then week six, we'll finish it up with the armor of God. Hello, my name is Lawrence, and I am a choir singer here at One Fellowship Church in Waco, Texas. Thank you for listening. You can learn more about our congregation online at onefellowshipumc.org. You can also like us on Facebook in order to stay up to date with the latest events and activities taking place in our community. Please feel free to share this message and others on social media so that more people can hear about what God is doing here at One Fellowship Church. Thank you and God bless.